Turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Before we left, or before I left with the group, I had been teaching on knowing God's will for your life and how to walk in it. And we've started in these verses each time, and uh, they're very important. So we're going to read them again, and we'll start and head off a different direction today, I believe, than we have in the past. Uh, but we've said this about the will of God because depending on where you're at, what you've been taught, what you listen to, many times people think the will of God is some big thing you do someday. And we talked about that from the Bible, that it's not just a big event that happens someday. It's really about your daily life with God, is walking in the will of God. And then we, because, you know, people have that event mentality. And if something big happens, they try to get involved in it because they think, well, I've got to, you know, and they're, they're violating things. There's, there's certain things that we need to do to walk in God's will. When I say violate things, they're just trying to make some big thing happen someday. They're scheming and working to make something happen, and they're missing out. And, you know, you don't want people to live their whole life and not do the will of God. But the will of God is simple, and it's really something that we do on a daily basis or can walk in on a daily basis. And it's not just some big thing at one time. You with me? And that's important. Then we talked about the importance of our attitude and how we respect the Bible. The Bible is the solution for humanity regardless. And um, we need to understand that the Bible is an inspired book given by God and our attitude toward it is crucial to your whole faith, to everything. And we talked about that and how that, you know, that there are certain religious groups, you know, guys that ride bikes, you know, that have badges, you know, little black badges on, and they go door to door. And then they talk about how, you know, that they have another book and that the Bible is not as superior as to their other book. What are they basically doing? They're making people not respect the Bible as superior. Well, we already saw that the Bible said that our attitude in which we hear the Bible is the way we receive back. It's really the way we measure out. The greater our respect for the Bible is, it broadens our capacity to receive truth into our hearts. And we said, you know, it's, in society today, you know, there is a huge amount of disrespect to the Bible. I mean... There was just a huge funeral on TV yesterday for, you know, uh, you know, a famous athlete. And, you know, it was all based on, or the part I saw, on the Quran, you know. And, you know, and people would be fired up if it was the Bible, but, hey, let them have this. What are they doing? They're degrading people's respect or trying to for the Bible because the Bible is a solution, and it's an inspired book by God, and we need to understand that. And so we talked about these things, you know, a little bit, and so we're going to go past that and move on from there. But our message are, messages are always online. You can uh, download them or listen to them for free. But Romans 12.1, we're going to start back and press on past those uh, three messages. This is number four. Notice in verse one. It says, 12.1, I beseech you or literally urge you, therefore, brethren. So this we know is written to Christians because of the first chapter. So this is to people who have already received the Lord, people who have been set right with God and by a free gift have been washed, cleansed, set in good standing 
That's a believer, one who has received Christ. He said, he said, I beseech or urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then this is what he said, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One translation says your spiritual act of worship. Now, in the Old Testament, which was the scriptures they were teaching out of, we know that people were required to offer up sacrifices, but this was a different kind of sacrifice. It was to be offered up to God. It was not to be offered up like, you know, an animal to cover sins, but it's your life and how you do things with your body, and your body includes your ears, your mouth, everything. And so he said, offer it up a certain way. Now, in the Old Testament, they couldn't offer up animals that were deformed. Uh, they couldn't offer up, you know, cripple things and stuff. They couldn't just go find the leftovers. It was like the best belonged to God. As a matter of fact, one time in the book of Malachi concerning offerings, you know, and giving the tithe or the tenth part and giving it to God, what had happened was, they started, they, they started giving their junk to God. In other words, they might have 100 sheep, and in, they were supposed to give 10 to God. You know, the tithe means 10%. And what they started doing was picking the crippled ones and the lame ones and the blind ones and started giving those to God. And the Lord spoke to them. And it's interesting how the book of Malachi is. It's a dialogue back and forth between God and the people. And he said to them, he said, he said, you know, you're robbing me. And they said, what do you mean we're robbing you? He said, in tithes and offerings. Well, that didn't make sense to them because they were giving tithes and offerings. But if you go look at what they were giving, he said, go take and give this to the governor, your governor, and see if he would, because they were giving junky stuff. He said, give it to the governor and see if he would like it. In other words, they weren't giving their best. They were giving 10, but they weren't giving their best 10. You know, I mean, I understand today, if you have $100, you can give $10, and it's the same as another $10. But the issue was they were giving up not their best to God. It's interesting. You still have that today. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, you know, I've... Pastor Linda has been here, been a great help, you know, come along. And, and uh, I had experiences when I was an assistant pastor where things happened that didn't happen when the pastor was there. I'm going to walk over here because she just tilted her head sideways. And so, you know, and I've told people this, you know, from the podium. Now she tilted it this way, so I'll just talk to you guys. And so this group over here. And so, man, I feel like I'm getting sunburned on this side of my face. And, uh, but, uh, you know, there's things you learn. And I've told people, you know, that, that, you know, we should give our best to God, not leftovers, you know, like, you know, people go, man, our couch is falling apart. We need a new one. Let's give this one to the church, you know, or I got a broken set of dishes. I was going to throw them away, but I was thinking about you. Well, what were you thinking about me if you were thinking, give broken dishes? 
but it's a matter of giving to God. And so one day somebody came and, and I was gone and they said, oh, well, we brought all this stuff and it was a bunch of stuff. It was junk. And there were other people there. It was after prayer and she accepted it and everybody went, what are you going to do? They brought it in. That's right. I would have said, take it out. And so it was bad stuff. And, uh, or, you know, maybe not the best. And I thought, you know, those people, what were they thinking? You know what I mean? And uh, praise the Lord. But we should offer our best to God is what I'm saying. Now, I'm not trying to say go keep your old couch and give us a new couch. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying even with our life, we should offer our best to God with what we do with our body and how we live. And, and, and you know, if you read the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, it talks much about what you do with your life and how you live for God. And so in Malachi, they were given the bad, and God said, give it to your governor, see what he would think. We could identify that if the president came to town, how many of you would think, man, I got a broken set of dishes, I was going to throw them away, but, well, maybe if you don't like the president, you'd be like, here's a broken set of dishes. But if you respected him in the office, you wouldn't think, okay, I'm going to give you a broken set of dishes, like he's going to take it and bring it back and go, oh, man, when I was in Arizona, I got a broken set of dishes, this is awesome. No, because he even said, see how he would receive it. So we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in a good way that's pleasing to God. But notice it goes on to say, it's our reasonable service. It's your spiritual act of worship. You know, sometimes we think, you know, that worship is the slow songs at the end of when we're singing. Actually, how we live our life is our spiritual act of worship toward God. And so verse 2 says this, and do not, and well, I want to go back to that. It says, this is your reasonable service. It's not an unreasonable service God is asking of us to present our bodies to him. It's not unreasonable. It is a reasonable service. You know, when you're a kid, I can't believe you're asking me to do that. No kid's ever done that, right? You're adults. You were a kid once. Do you ever remember that? Well, if you feel guilty, you know. But isn't that the truth? How come I have to do that? There are some things that are just reasonable. Well, every other kid takes out the trash. Yeah, but still, why me? They think it's not reasonable, but there are reasonable things. And there is a reasonable thing here he's talking about, about you presenting your body, you disciplining your body. If anybody is going to discipline your body, it's going to be you. Why do we have prisons? Uh, they're called correctional institutions. They're places of discipline. It's because people don't discipline their own life and they don't discipline it to such a degree that they have no parameters on their life. So we got to go put them in a place where there are parameters. And hopefully they get taught what? To be corrected and to change. But the Bible tells us we are to correct our own lives and we are to govern our own lives. And it's our own reasonable, it's reasonable before God that we do this. It is. 
You say, yeah, but we live in a day and age that's like never before. I understand that. But it's still a reasonable request from God. And it's your reasonable service to him to do this. Amen. I know it would be nice to say, well, you don't have to. God understands. But it is our reasonable service. To him. It's reasonable. It's within the realm of reason that we do this. It's not outside when, when the day comes and he asks, what have you done with your life? He's not going to say, oh, you, you know, you, my wife, my brother, uh, you know, these people. He's not, we're not even going to say that because we're going to know then. It was within the realm of what is reasonable to do these things. But there are just a lot of pressures in life and people can, you know, try to please people and, you know, all kinds of things can press on people, but we just need to realize this is reasonable before God, and it's our reasonable act of service to do something with our bodies. And there are cravings in it. That's why Jesus said, you crucify the flesh. You know what that means? You got to nail it down sometimes. And so we'll just keep going because you guys are too excited. But it says, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. So there is a world out here that we are not to be conformed to or take on the shape of. But notice what it says. Uh, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice this. But, but... In other words, he said, don't be conformed to this world. But, in other words, he didn't just say, don't do that. But, but's about to tell us something else. You know, isn't that true? I'll do anything you say. But, well, we know there's all kinds of qualifying factors. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but... In other words, he didn't just leave you there and say, don't do this, because sometimes people try to just not be like the world, and we're not called to do that. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but, notice what it goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When he talks about being transformed there by the renewing of your mind, notice that phrase again. He said, but be transformed. This word right here is huge. By. By. Be transformed by. That word there is an identifying the agent performing an action. In other words, he's going to tell you the action or the agent by which this transformation will take place. So when he said by, he said he's basically going to tell you what agent or what thing or what object needs to be implemented or put into play to get this to come to pass. Notice he said, but be transformed by. So what is the agent of transformation? By... Notices, by the renewing of your mind. So, 
to renew your mind or to change the way you think is the key of transformation so that we don't stay like the rest of the world. And so that is the key right here, by the renewing or by this object, by this. He said, by the renewing of your mind. Why do you need to have your mind renewed? And what does it look like to have your mind renewed? That's a good question to ask. To make something new again or to bring something into a totally different state of being. Now, when a person gets saved, their spirit instantaneously is washed. You're set in good standing with God. I mean, if you die, you're going to heaven. You're in business. You're a child of God. But he's not talking about the spirit. He's talking about the mind. There is an instant change, but then there has to be a transformation by. Transformation here, this word, is the word we get, metamorphosis. You know, and it literally means, you know, to go from one thing to another. And we know, you know, that we've had this big series, I don't know what number they're on now, called Transformers. And they go from one thing to another. But what's interesting is when you look at the word transformation, it literally, in the, when it talks about like amphibians and insects, like, you know, I had a little pond in my backyard. It wasn't even a pond. It was a little like fountain thing that held some water. And dragonflies would go there. And uh, so I had little feeder fish in there to keep the mosquitoes down. But when we talk about a metamorphosis, if you've ever seen a mosquito, at first it's in the water. And then afterwards it hatches and it comes out. And then it does something different than when it comes out. Dragonflies are the same way. They're underneath the water swimming around and then they climb out and crack out of their shell and take off flying away. We know this, uh, and this is what a metamorphosis is going from one thing to another. We know that about caterpillars. You know, they go from this little crawling thing into a moth or a butterfly. They go from what the definition in the dictionary literally is the process of transformation from immature form to adult form in two or more distinct stages. From an immature form to a mature adult form. And, and we know that about like polywogs, you know, have you ever been to a creek or someplace where there's water and you see them there and you see these things swimming around and then all of a sudden, you know, if you're there at a certain time, you'll notice they've got like back legs now. They still got a tail. There is a transformation that is taking place. And then if you keep watching them, if they keep growing, then their front legs come out and eventually the tail starts to disappear and they end up where they don't live under the water anymore. They live on top and can access land. They go from immature to a mature state. And when he's talking about the renewing of the mind, he's talking about people who are Christians going from an immature state to a mature state. And it's in stages. And so the renewing of the mind, when he says, by... How are you going to come from one state to another? By the renewing of the mind. And to me, the renewing of the mind is maybe one of the great disciplines of Christian living. It will not just happen casually. 
It won't, won't happen without discipline. I mean, some of us have been raised to be champion warriors, to be pessimistic instead of optimistic. Instead of seeing God being able to do something, they have a, a mentality that everything is bigger than God. And so what needs to happen is, it's kind of like digging new channels for thoughts to flow in. And if you've ever dug, you know, in the soil here, at least where I've lived, there's a lot of rocks and things you got to dig through. And it, if you want to plant something and then you want to, you know, like when they farm, they put furrows in and they do that, those deep channels, so that when they put water, when they irrigate, it'll feed all those areas and water everything. Your mind is like that. You need to dig new trenches. Because have you ever been some places, uh, you know, we were talking about the mission trip. Uh, we went up to the, one of the churches we helped establish, or I did with a couple people one night, and the other part of the group went to another area. I said, wow, they really worked on the road, and uh, they, there were so many ruts there that, that you'd drive the car, and they just fall into that rut. Even though you may not want them in that rut, you know, if those ruts are deep enough, your car goes and gets stuck in them. And that can be okay as long as those ruts are going the same way and uh, certain things like that that you want to go, but otherwise you can get caught in these ruts. And what happens is we've thought so long certain ways. We got saved and we love God, but then we're frustrated about things because we have big trenches that are dug in our minds and whenever things start happening our wheels slip back in that way of thinking and they just kind of cruise along you with me and so it takes something to refill those with new thoughts and then to dig new ones so that when you do slide one way you slide back into another way of thinking where you start going god's able to do this he'll work on my behalf he's done these things in my life he's changed me and it takes work to renew your mind i used to say it like this we when we were little we had those uh, record players you know that most people my age got that came like in a box looking thing you know it had hinges you open the top and then, then, you know, you have the, mine I think was red on the bottom and white on the top. I think my, or my brother's was, and I had, one of them was orange on the bottom and white on the top. And you flip the thing open, and you have your own record player. It's a little different than an MP3 player, okay. size-wise. You can't just charge the batteries and go. I mean, you got to be near a wall. But you flip the thing open, and there's a big wheel on it like this with a thing sticking up and an arm. And, you know, it had a couple of knobs, you know, it was high tech. And uh, you turn the thing on, and you got 33 or 45. And 45, man, that thing was spinning for those little records. This is like when I was younger, and my grandparents told me they rode in a stagecoach to school or something like that. <laughs> We used to use a record player when I was younger, like a record player. Yeah, look it up in the encyclopedia. You're like, we don't have those. No, they're the same era. But anyway, we'd flip the thing open. You know, you put your record on and stuff. But there was, there, these were dual purpose things. At least to me, they were. They were also a toy. You know, you put your Hot Wheels on it and you turn it on and you get that thing spinning around. And then if, after it got going fast enough a certain way, 
things would come flying off. And nobody ever did that. You know, I don't know what girls did. I don't know if they put their Barbie legs on there and made them run real fast or something. I don't know. But the guys had Hot Wheels, and we'd put them on there, or I did at least. Normal people did, and like me. And you'd get that thing spinning. Once it got spinning to a certain place, it would throw the Hot Wheels off. But I know this, if the further into the middle the faster it had to get going to throw the other ones because the, the speed is faster as you further, the further out you get. But what's interesting, once the speed was going, you couldn't just put them on there. It would throw it right off. And, uh, but if you started it slow, it would take work to get the speed up. Renewing the mind is kind of like that. When the mind gets renewed, you know, the further you go, the, it's like the mind starts spinning in a certain way and going in a certain way. Then when certain thoughts come and try to get placed in there, they get thrown right off. You're like, no. But if you are first growing in some of these things, sometimes you think, what in the world is going on with my mind? Just get it going. Learn to start thinking new. Learn to take the Word of God, begin to study. And here's a thing that you need to do. Study who you are in Christ. What the Bible said, Christ bought and paid for you. Because so many times people are praying for things that actually belong to them already in Christ. They, they're praying for healing. I've dealt with this with people. They're praying for healing. Lord, heal me. But they don't know that actually in Christ it's already provided. Or they're needing peace of mind, so they're trying to get peace of mind. But they don't realize in Christ it's already provided. They're needing finances, and so they're saying, help me, help me, help me, Lord. But the Bible said he became poor so you might have a full supply and be made rich. You know? And on and on, there are things that are done. You know, people are saying, man, I live under guilt and condemnation all the time. The blood of Jesus has already washed you. But if you don't have your mind renewed, you might accept something that says, well, you're just not good enough when the Bible said you are in his sight. And so renewing the mind is taking truths and beginning to put them into play where we begin to think. In other words, first they'll fill holes that are ruts. And they'll help dig new ones so your wheels can get in there. But remember we said this. Turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We said this in the definition concerning renewing the mind. It's talking about going from an a immature to mature immature to mature. And this is work. You with me? It is work. Ephesians 4, 14. I've read some things and thought, oh, I like that. I'm going to put that into practice. And then I found myself not practicing it an hour later. Anybody ever done that? I mean, that's only happened to me once, but no. It has happened. And the fact of the matter is, but there is a way to, as we are transformed, because it's not immediate, and that's what we need to realize. It's really coming from one person to becoming a new person, and just like a frog, it takes work, and, or I should say takes time. There is a process to renewing your mind, so you get your mind in line 
with who you really are in Christ and what he's already got and paid for for you. And so here in Ephesians 4, it's interesting. I'm going to jump through a couple of verses. I'm going to read the 14th and 15th verse of the fourth chapter. It says that we should no longer be children. Now, let me ask you this. Well, this might not work in our day and age, but usually children are not as mature as adults. See what I'm saying? But in times gone by, children were less mature than adults. And so he said, and he's talking about an immaturity here. And we're talking about the transformation that comes by renewing your mind that should bring about some spiritual maturity. He said in verse 14 that you sh- or that we should no longer be children. And here's the interesting thing. He's going to tell you what a sign or what a child spiritually looks like. Right? There are some things that we would say, well, they're a child, you know, and because of this. And what he's doing is he's about to tell us here, one, not the only, but a sign of a child. He said that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro. Now, he's giving an illustration of like a boat and it being thrown back and forth on the waves and things sliding back and forth. He said that we should no longer be, or we should no longer be children tossed to and fro or back and forth with every wind of doctrine. So what is it that's throwing us? It's not always the sea, you know, like a boat, but it's false doctrine or doctrine that doesn't line up with sound things can throw you. Like, you know, years ago, I used to hear this more, you know, that all miracles are done. They passed away with the last apostles. God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. It passed away with the last apostles. And there are people that still believe that. That all miracles and all healings and all that is done because the apostles are gone. Well, who's right then? Well, what, what if that guy's got a more expensive suit than what I'm wearing? Then is he, he, maybe he has a cooler voice. You know, and you're like, whoa, maybe he's more dynamic. I'm telling you, they all pass away with the last apostle when he died. It's like, whoa. Well, what makes him more empowered than me? Naturally, maybe, you know, from a natural sense, maybe nothing. But what empowers the transformation we're looking for by the renewing of your mind So how are you going to renew your mind? You're going to have to know what the Word of God says. And we know from the Word of God it's plain. There's an implication to say that all miracles passed away when the last apostle died because it's implying only apostles ever did miracles. And what's interesting is we know from the Bible, if you just read the book of Acts, there were people who were just serving tables, like when they found Stephen and those different guys serving, they were praying for people. Philip and people who were crippled were getting healed, and different things were happening, and Stephen had miracles happening to him. He wasn't even an apostle. And there were other people that 
were having miracles happen through their lives. And so the question would be, does that mean when John, the last apostle, or which last apostle? Is he talking about the original 12? Because Paul and some of the other ones who were doing miracles uh, weren't even part of that first group. And an apostle literally just means a sent one, very similar to a missionary today. And the issue is this, people like Stephen, people like Philip, Philip's daughters said, you know, he had a certain amount of daughters, and they, they prophesied or spoke divine messages from God. They were not apostles. These were not people who were a part of that original 11. One Judas died, and then they picked another one, and he filled the place. But there were other ones that were having miracles happen. And what's so interesting, the last commission or one of the last things Jesus said to the church before he rose was he said these signs would follow them apostles who believe. No. He said these signs would follow those who believe. In my name, they will do these things. It's interesting that he said if you would believe in the name, the things would work for you. But what's happened is, People have gotten so entrenched in things and said these things are not for today because somebody said something and then somebody said something again and then they started taking it as their own way of thinking and now they are full of unbelief and not knowing and they could be good people who love God and care about God and care about God's things but now they're going down a path where they're building this trench in their mind. These things are not for today. But the Bible said, I am the Lord, I change not. You with me? And we know from Daniel that he said in the last days, those that do know their God will be strong and do exploits or mighty deeds. So the key is, is getting our minds renewed so we don't fall into different ways of thinking that we have to be this way or God won't do this in our lives and that we're no longer children tossed back and forth. Because notice what it says, by the trickery, 414, halfway through, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In other words, there are people who say things for their own benefit to draw people after themselves, to get people to join forces with them, and it is not scriptural, and they plot and they speak certain things, so people will go that way. The only sure remedy is what does the Word of God say? And so here, these guys are causing people to be thrown around in their faith. Could you imagine if you need healing, and somebody said, well, it's not for everybody, what would that do? How could I remedy that? Because what if I hear that? It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. If it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, all those things can be remedied by the Bible. You know, well, healing is for when you get to heaven. That's an interesting thought. If healing is only for if you get to heaven. It's a very interesting thought. 
because it has been defined that way, you know, because you go to a funeral and you read a verse and it said there will be, you know, in heaven there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more pain, you know, they're quoting from the book of Revelation, for the former things have passed away. So you go, okay, well, maybe there isn't healing for today because somebody said this is for the future, it'll be passed away. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus need to do something on the earth to change what is in heaven? No. The only thing he did was made a way for people to get to heaven. But when he took stripes, and the Bible said, by whose stripes you were healed, he paid for it when he was whipped. And, and, and all these different verses that talk about it, why would he pay something to get healing when you don't need healing in heaven. You don't, because it's all passed away. There's no more sorrow. There's no more nothing. Why did he strip the power of the devil? Not for heaven. There is no devil living in heaven. Why did he give us authority over the devil? Was it for the, did, What part of this ended when the last apostle died? Wouldn't it have been bad to be alive back then if you were totally alive? And you needed healing, so you had to depend on an apostle. And you went to get prayed for, and you're like, man, I'm going to be there tomorrow. And because your friend told you about it, so you went and they went and got healed. You go to the town, and you're about to go there, and the apostle dies that night. Man, what a bummer. Last apostle died may not be God's will for everyone. That's like saying it's not God's will to forgive everyone. Why do we stumble at these things? Because we don't see what's in there. You with me? And really, we get tossed to and fro by things that shouldn't toss us. You know, I was going to read some more verses here, but I'm going to change and get ready to close. But there's an interesting thought. Because, you know, you ever hear people say, well, you Christians are just narrow-minded. You, you need to be more open-minded. You, you, your problem is you just guys are so narrow-minded. Well, how many miracles have you seen lately? How much is God working in your life? How much? What's he doing? Turn to James, and I think we'll close here. Well, you just need to be open-minded. You, you just need to be broad-minded. You just need to think like this. Is being broad-minded dangerous? Well, he told us, don't be like the world. Basically, what they're saying is, accept our way of thinking. Right? It's okay to be independent and not be like everybody else. And you should not feel like you're some stranger or some weirdo because you don't think like everybody else. Meaning if you're choosing to live in line with the word. You understand? You have to qualify that because somebody will say, see, he said I could think any way I want to. No, I'm talking qualified in the place of what does the word say? Notice James, the first chapter and we'll start in verse 5 because, you know, if people are tossed by different things, getting different opinions, different opinions, you know, like 
can affect people. It can affect how you walk in victory, how you get your prayers answered, and all kinds of other things. And, and, but you can change your opinions by renewing your mind. You can. You with me? James, the first chapter. Notice verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, you don't have this, he said, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally or freely. So you just ask, and he'll give it without reproach. So in other words, he's not going to go, dummy, you already asked for that. Come on. Why are you asking? No, he won't reproach you. He'll just give. Yeah, all right. You're asking? Cool. Now, I don't know if he says cool. I added that. Who gives to all liberally or freely without reproach, and it will be given. But, but, remember I said, but's an empowering word. You know, I'll do whatever you want, but. So he'll give it to you, but. Let him ask in faith or in confidence with no doubting. Now, having a bad thought is not doubt. That's the opportunity to doubt. Without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. In other words, circumstances make this person change their opinion. What they see, what they feel, what they're presently experiencing, they, they get driven around. Notice this. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. What man? In other words, if you ask and you change your opinions, yeah, God heard me, and then you start going, he didn't hear me. And you change your opinions, he said, don't think that that person will receive anything from the Lord. I wonder if we've ever wondered why some prayers did not get answered. Not because of God, but notice this. He said, but he said, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, verse 8 is the key. He is a double-minded man. Literally means he holds to two distinct opinions. That's why he's being tossed. He's holding to the opinion that God can heal, but does God want to heal? Will God heal? And the answer to that is no. He's already paid for it. It is actually yours. You just have to appropriate it and believe that you already have it. But there's opinions that people hold to. They don't realize things are provided for. They don't realize certain things belong to them. But notice he said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So let's change this. Because that's pretty negative. But what about a single-minded man? What about a single-minded man? 
one who gets his opinions and he doesn't go, yeah, Jesus is the way and so is this. A single-minded man who says Jesus is the only way is not going to be unstable in that. You with me? Remember I said, don't, we don't have to be open-minded to the world. We just need to be open-minded to what God said. We can change our own opinions about things by study of the Word of God. And when you study the Word of God, you become more single-minded. Why? Because the Spirit of God will teach you. And you'll start reading. I mean, there are Scripture after Scripture after Scripture concerning things that if we just knew... You know, if you serve the Lord, he'll bless your bread and water, take sickness away from the midst of you, and the number of your days you will fulfill. He said, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget, you know, in Psalm, that's in Exodus, but you can go through the Bible in Exodus. Uh, there's multiple times that he talks about serving the Lord and being healed and not being barren and being able to bear children. Those are things that are ours. And there are different scriptures that say, bless the Lord, like in Psalms, O my soul, forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who delivers your life from destruction. You know, one of the God's Old Testament names was, I am the Lord. You know, he, he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And it was one of his covenant names, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our physician. And I mean, you can go on and on. Psalms 107.20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Isaiah talks about, you know, about how he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. You know, even Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he talks about how you shall be like newborn or new or calves freely or baby calves, you know, sent forth from the stall. Your healing will spring forth speedily. And you know how they bound and jump. And he talks about how your healing can come forth that way. And then you can just, but there's a bunch of scriptures I overlooked. And there's bunches of them in the New Testament. But what's happened is we've never looked at them and saw that these are things he wants and things that he's provided. We've been strong about salvation, but what about other things? What about other things? Why not start digging new trenches in your mind? In other words, where you purpose to just take your attention off of a problem and put it on what he said. You know, Proverbs, the book of wisdom, he said, My son, incline your ears unto my sayings in Proverbs 4.20. He, he talks about my son, he said, incline your ears unto my sayings. And he said, you know, he first said, you know, he, taught, he said, attend to my word, incline yours to my saints. He said, let them not depart from your eyes. That's being single-minded. He, he said, don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to all those who find them, and health or medicine is the Greek or Hebrew word to all their flesh. And then he said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life or the parameters by which you walk in. And it all comes down to, will we renew our mind and really get patterns of thinking? Because once you get patterns of thinking, you're going to fall into that rut. And you could make some good ones. You with me? I mean, you can make good ones. I, my first driving experience when I was young was the Utopia cars at Disneyland. And they have a rail, and you could, I mean... I have got kicked off of them, I will admit. 
and they told me, you can't come back and ride on these again. You say, well, how if you can't get off the track? But, you know, you can go as far right and far left, but once that track is in place, that car stays there. And once you get certain things ingrained in your mind, I mean, the world is, the world is striving to ingrain you. It is. Schools may be, they're good teachers, they're bad. Some of the stuff is just left out and it's not talked about. Our history and what we really are, all different kinds of things. There's just things that are trying to ingrain people. But the action of change comes by the Word of God and learning to begin to think and practice thinking. In time, you will get a new way of thought. So like that Utopia car, you couldn't go anywhere. You could just go fast or slow, but that's where you were staying. Somebody said, well, how did you get kicked off? None of your business. <laughs> then when they said, keep your foot off the brakes, and everybody was standing up out of their cars, I was like, floor it! And people went flying, and they were not happy with me. That was last week. So, no, that was a long time ago. But the fact of the matter is those tracks are there. You, you can only move so much once you get those things in. When you get certain things, you won't move far from it. And you could do it, and I can do it, but it's, a, it's an exercise, really, to take and to get these things in you. You need to purpose to think like this is this. And you might say, yeah, but I've tried that. It's not about that. It takes time to renew your mind. It takes time to renew your mind. Let me say that again. It takes days and weeks and months to renew your mind. But you can do it, and then, you know, somebody has a book out there called Effortless Change. And I don't like the title at all. Because how many of you realize that there is no real effortless change? Well, I'll tell you what, maybe he's good to put that on the cover because then people that go, cool, no effortless change. Then why buy the book if it's effortless change? Because to buy the book means you had to work to get money, which took effort. Then you had to go somewhere, whether it was online or in person, spend the money that you made. Even if you stole it, it took effort to steal it. <laughs> and then get the book. Go to the mailbox and get it out of the mailbox. Then to find out about this effortless change, you're going to have to spend an hour or two or three to read this book, which is effort. To have effortless change. You with me? And then all you do is read it and find out he talks about renewing the mind and transformation through the renewing of your mind. But what he's saying is, once your mind is renewed, the change is effortless. In other words, it just becomes who you are. That I understand. You with me? Because uh, you're just so thinking a different way. You're not struggling to act this way. That's just how you think. Drug addicts, people addicted to stuff, they may not like it, but they just go do, 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 do. People get addicted to stuff and start getting certain patterns. It's just like, bam. But that's how, how they think in their life. But thank God, this is a way we can do it, renewing our mind.